Go ahead and open your Bibles as you will to the book of Ephesians is where we're going to be. And uh, what a great book. Um, and so we want to jump right into this. The difference in Ephesians and Galatians is that um, when Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus, he was dealing with a church that had doctrinal problems. Judaizers had come in and had tried to create a hybrid uh, religion, blending works and grace. And let me remind you that anytime you add, anytime you add works to grace, then it's no more grace, okay? So it, we talked about the dangers of poisoning the truth and the damage that it does. So, so we're into the, the book of Ephesians now. Let's begin in chapter 1. And I'm going to read a few verses, and then we'll get into our, our study. Paul, verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, to the saints which are at Ephesus, and to the faithful in Christ Jesus. Now, the difference in this salutation and the book of Galatians is that Paul was writing to a group of churches in a regional area of Galatia. Okay, Remember we talked about they were from Celtic blood that had moved over and taken over that area. They were mercenary. Now he's writing to a church at Ephesus. So now this is not to churches. This is to the local church here at Ephesus. And it's one of the most famous churches in all of the New Testament. We'll, we'll refer to that in a little bit. Grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Interesting thing here, interesting thing that grace precedes peace, doesn't it? I mean, it, it, that's, it's just, listen, God doesn't mince words. He makes no mistakes. You'll never have peace until you discover grace, okay? It is God's grace that brings us to peace in our life. Uh, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places, and according as He hath chosen us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the good pleasure of His will, to the praise of the glory of His grace, wherein He hath made us accepted in the Beloved, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace. Let's pray. Father, help us and open our hearts again, Lord, I pray to Your Word. Give us the things that we have need of and uh, teach us, instruct us, and we'll thank You again for all Your blessings on us. In Christ's name, amen. Now, at the time of the writing, when Paul wrote this letter uh, to the church at Ephesus, Ephesus the city... Uh, it's interesting isn't it, that we can, find out, we can find out how many the city has, but there's not any emphasis in the Bible over the number that the church has. And that's because that's not, that's not an essential thing to God. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't grow or reach people. I'm just simply saying that's not one of the things that God puts at the foremost in comparing, you know, we would say, well, this church had more, and, and it might be the most carnal church. Or, and this church has few, and it might be the most spiritual, or it could be vice versa. So God doesn't do that. But Ephesus, the city, had a population of 350,000. Now, there were three roads that converged together in the city of Ephesus, and it brought trade uh, from all over. Uh, and along with the harbor that was there, it made Ephesus a very vital 
commercial center. The highway to Rome ran through there, and uh, it, it, uh, it, it, it brought from Asia to, excuse me, to Rome <clears throat> the Christians that were going to be martyred. And so here are these people that have been captured for their faith. They're being brought along the road through Ephesus on the Roman highway to Rome. Uh, Ignatius called it the highway of martyrs. And so on that road, the people in Ephesus were familiar with these shackled Christians that were being led to their death in the Roman Colosseum that, that passed through their city. And I can see young kids watching the parade of, of, of this and, and incredible. Um, during this time, uh, it was a very elegant city. Um, uh, when Paul and, and the early Christians were there, there was a main street of the city that led from the harbor uh, all the way into the theater. It was a hundred, it was a hundred feet wide. It was paved with marble slabs and was flanked on either side of that by a row of, row of columns 50 feet deep. Now I'm just trying to give you a picture of the fact we're not dealing with Podunk Holler here, okay? This isn't, this isn't some little off, you know, the wall, little place, rural place. No, this was this was, a, this was a major city uh, where God was doing a work here. Galleries and rows of small shops lined both sides of the street. Uh, and at night, the street itself, uh, it's recorded, was illuminated by lanterns. The theater was cut into the side of Mount uh, Pihon and would seat 25,000. And so this is, this, is a, this is an impressive, when you... When you came into Ephesus, it was an impressive city, uh, and yet it was also very pagan. Uh, history books record that uh, Ephesus was noted for wizards and sorcerers and witches and astrologers and people that would read somebody's fortune by the palm of their hand or by the shape of their knuckles. So I don't know what, I mean, if you punch somebody and, and mess up a few knuckles, you've changed your entire fortune. I don't, I don't know how that works, but in any case... Uh, that's what they would do. It was also the center of the worship of the goddess Diana. Okay, this was the, this was the epicenter of that. And in fact, in, in the Roman world, there were 33 temples uh, where Diana, the goddess, was worshipped. The temple here was the most notable among all of them. And uh, it was reputed to have come directly from Zeus in heaven. And it's, I don't know if you've ever seen a picture of it. It's a pretty grotesque figure. And, and so here is Diana uh, of, of the Ephesians, and she's, she's worshipped here. Um, it was quite. The temple in Paul's day was supported by 127 columns. Each column was 197 feet high, and it is ranked as one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. So when you come to Ephesus, it's an elegant, impressive city. But the, I mean, I'm talking when you, you know, if, if you could get on TripAdvisor and say, what do I see when I go to Ephesus? The number one thing would be, see, go to the Temple of Diana. It's amazing. The columns and the, you know, it, it's, it, is, it is reported that this, this um, image of Diana fell from heaven and, uh, and was sent down by Zeus. Now, just really quickly, Apollo, uh, 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 Diana uh, is the twin sister of Apollo, the daughter of Zeus in mythology. And she was known for various things as the moon goddess and the goddess of hunting and, and the 
here's the most important thing, the patroness of young girls. Okay. So in Ephesus, now stay with me, I know this is a lot of stuff, but there's reason behind this. In Ephesus, there was a worship of the goddess Diana, and they took great pride in, in this temple, so much so that they had coins. You knew a coin was from Ephesus if it had imprinted upon it Diana of Ephesus. Okay. Wasn't the mayor. Okay, it was Diana. This is our God, Diana of Ephesus. And so there was the thing. Now, first, first thing I want to grab from this, and, and it was just sort of use that to segue into our first point. First observation I want to make out of the book of Ephesus is this. The church can become infected by the culture. The church can become infected by the culture which surrounds it. Now, if you, read the, if you read the Pauline epistles, you'll immediately become aware of the fact that Paul was always warning, always battling, trying to keep the cultural contagions out of a church. Because Paul knew, Paul knew that there were things that could get into the church and, and infiltrate the church from the culture um, that, that would get the, get the church off course and contrary to the scripture, and it was the same way here in Ephesus. And so um, sometimes we get the idea, I think just simply because of, because of the ancient cultures and the antiquated way we think people live, that when you go back to this time period, all the women walked around humbly with their hands folding, said, yes, master, to, to their husbands, and, and were just absolutely obedient and, and you know, just submissive. In uh, humble housemaids waiting feverishly on the beck and call from their husband, but that's not so. It's not so. Especially in Ephesus, it was not so. There was a mythology in Ephesus uh, that was founded, that Ephesus was founded by warrior women known as the Amazons. Many of you thought Wonder Woman was not real. She was. And it comes, she started out in Ephesus and is alive even today if you're aware of the comic books. So, so what happened is um, the, the idea was that the Amazonian women founded Ephesus and offered rituals to Diana because they discovered this image that fell straight out of heaven, bam, and Zeus sent it down. And so these supernatural women were there uh, to worship that. Now, at this time when this book this letter is delivered from Paul to the church at Ephesus. There were 15 women in Ephesus who were high priestess in that, in that Amazonian cult. And it's the largest known group at any time in the world, uh, uh, this time of the world, that, that worshipped Diana. Okay, Now, these women not only had religious influence and authority, but they, but they were very much involved because of the aura of Diana. They were involved in city government. They were, um, they were very boisterous. Unlike a lot of other places, the women in Ephesus were very, uh, very prominent in injecting themselves in the political arena as well. And, and so the, the cult of women that were Amazonian in mentality and worshipped Diana were very emboldened and empowered in a world that was traditionally dominated by men. And so now 
now we've got, we've got a conflict within the church. Where does that conflict come? It comes from the culture. Okay. So here's a church in Ephesus, and, and uh, there's a conflict between these women that feel like that they have been um, uh, authorized by Zeus and by Diana to be leaders in their community, and now Paul is writing to this church, and the first thing he says to the husband is to love your wife. Now, I just want you to know that was an extraordinarily radical statement when Paul gave it because there, was, there wasn't the love. They didn't understand the concept of love. There was possessiveness, possessions, and in much part of the world, women were looked upon as possessions, and now in this conflict, you can tell the way Paul deals with this, not just in the letter to the church at Ephesus, but in his letter to Timothy, who was a pastor in Ephesus. He's dealing with issues here that, that he didn't have to deal with in every place. Now, he does to the church at Colossae. We'll talk about that uh, at another study. And so, so there's a conflict that's been created in the home and the struggle was to keep it from contaminating the church. Why? Because the church is only as strong as its homes. You show me a church that has weakened homes, and I'll show you a weakened church. Doesn't matter what the number is. Doesn't matter what the giving is. Okay? None of that matters. What matters is, is there, is there love and respect, and are our homes uh, based scripturally, or are they biblically dysfunctional. And the church is only as strong as its homes are. And so Paul now uh, begins to write them. And so, so Paul says to the husband, love your wife. Well, how do I do that? As Christ loved the church. Now let me just say this to you. That's the hardest assignment that could possibly be given to men. And it's not a weekly assignment. It is a lifelong assignment. Okay? It's a lifelong assignment. Okay, when, when I first met Susie, I was head over heels and, and still am, by the way. But I'm just saying, it, I mean, the, the chemistry that's there in the beginning, there are no bills. There's no disagreements. I don't know which side of the tube she squeezes on toothpaste. Uh, she had never misplaced any of my tools. And we had no conflicts or problems like that at all. Now we're 48 years into our marriage, and 48 years later, she knows everything about me, and I know everything about her. And so it wasn't just good that when I fell in love with her and I saw her there at, you know, in the gymnasium, and I just said to myself, I've got to rescue this girl and, uh, and, and bless her. And, and, and so those were easy days. But now 48 years later, you know what I'm still supposed to do? Love her as Christ loved the church. I might have felt that more emotionally then, but I shouldn't. I shouldn't. I should become even more aware of that. Now, so, so then he says, look in chapter 5. But everybody go to chapter 5 because we're, we're dealing with now, we're dealing with how the culture can, in, can infect the home. It can infiltrate and infect the home. Look in, look in verse 22. Wives, submit yourselves unto who? 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 Your own husband. Okay, so it's not, this is, look at me, listen to me. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husband. Okay, it's, this, is not, this is not a rubber stamp where all women are supposed to be wallflowers, okay, where they walk around quietly and, and you know, they have no opinion. 
They don't know how to handle money. Okay. I've had to spend time counseling people. When their husband died in my ministry, I've had to go sit with them and counsel them and talk to them. They didn't even know how to balance a checkbook. So that's not what this is about. He's saying, he's saying to, the, to the wife, you got one person you're to submit to. You're to submit to your own husband, okay? And you ladies are, are to be in submission. Now, I understand as a pastor, I lead the church, I understand that. But your submission's to your husband, not to your pastor. That's where your submission is, okay? There's a partnership here. Read Proverbs chapter 31. There's, it, listen, if you've ever read about a partnership, it's Proverbs chapter 31. Everybody, she's a virtuous woman. She sat over in the corner and, and, and knitted, okay? Is that a word, knitted? I guess they knit. Okay, so I don't, I don't know. There's different stuff people do, so I don't, I don't know. But anyhow, uh, you, you know, no, no, she, she, she bought a field. She, she made a decision. I'm not saying she made it apart from her husband, but I'm just simply saying that, that, that there was a partnership there that is a beautiful thing in there. So, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he's the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands and everything. Now, look, I didn't write that, but it's still true today. So here's, here's the assignment. Husband, love your wife as Christ loved the church. That's a lifetime assignment. Here's the other assignment. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as the church is to submit to Christ. So that beautiful picture of Jesus and the church is, is to be reflected and shown in the home through love and through submission. And so he gives us that, okay? He writes to, to their pastor, Timothy. Go with me to 2 Timothy chapter 2. Everybody jump over there, 2 Timothy chapter 2. In case somebody online is watching, this is um, water and water enhancer meal. I just want to make that publicly statement so that rumors don't spread, okay? First, I said Second Amendment, First Timothy, I'm sorry. First Timothy chapter 2, my bad. First Timothy chapter 2, all right? In like manner also that women adorn themselves in modest apparel, okay, with shamefacedness and sobriety, not with broidered hair or gold, or pearls, or costly array, but which becometh women professing godliness with good works, okay? Let the woman learn in silence with all subjection, but I suffer not a woman to teach nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence, okay? Well, if you keep all that in contact, you, you can understand where he's talking about. He just, he's, he's talking about um, in matters of authority, uh, these women were... were injecting their opinions and their ideas. He's writing to the pastor of the church at Ephesus and said, you've got to get this under, you've got to get this under control. Now, real quickly, a rudimentary study of the scriptures will, will help you come to the conclusion that women are not, uh, are not forbidden to participate in teaching, okay? They do teach. In fact, we know that Aquila helped instruct Apollos and, and, and this is talking about instructions for the public assembly uh, in the church. He's also saying don't dress to draw attention to your body. That was happening in the culture. He was saying don't dress to draw attention to yourself. That's the broidered hair and stuff where you're just, you're just trying to make a show of yourself. Don't be verbally assertive in the public assembly. 
and, and, and don't rise up to publicly correct and assume authority that God has given the man. I don't know of a single godly lady, I don't know of one, that does not want men in her life to lead spiritually. I don't know. That's what God, that's how God has set it up. That's, that's how God designed the home. I do not know of one single woman that says, I don't want my husband to lead. I, 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 I'm talking about godly women. A godly woman wants to follow a man who follows Christ. And guys, that throws the responsibility on us to be followers of the Lord so that our wives can have the uh, uh, rest assured that we are, we are in, in following. Now, these instructions that we've covered were so necessary in Ephesus. So an emphasis is putting on Ephesus, okay, uh, on these issues because this was a major issue. It's not something that everybody has to hound all the time, okay? It's not something that you have to beat the pulpit about, but Paul wrote Timothy and said, you've got a problem there. It's the culture coming in. I want you to deal with that. Number two, number two, let me give you this. Doing the work of God can bring you opposition. Now, when you preach that kind of a message, you've got problems, okay? Not everybody's going to like that, okay? And so here's, here's Paul writing to the church and saying, okay, you've got some struggles going on in your, in your culture, and it's, it's infecting the church. And so here's, how, here's what I want you to do to set this up, to bring the church under the authority of Christ and to bring order into the church. He did this with the church at Corinth. You, you can't just have people speaking out of turn, and you can't have women walking up and taking things. You can't do that. That's not how God set the church up. And, and, and it has to be done in order the way that, that God sets it up. And, and so um, an amazing thing's happening here. In spite of all that, they're seeing people saved. This is one of the most amazing churches in the New Testament. Uh, it's an incredible church. And, and um, you would think that everybody would join in the celebration, but that's not what happened. Let me give you a verse of Scripture. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 9. Okay? Paul is writing to the church at Corinth, and he's in Ephesus, okay? So he's writing to the church at Corinth. He is in Ephesus, and this is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 16, verse 9, For a great door and effectual is opened unto me, and there are many adversaries. Okay. So Paul said, look, something's going on. I mean, God's working. God's doing some things here. God is so... He, he is so working in this place. God is doing what only God can do here. But I want to tell you, it's not without opposition. There are many adversaries that are here, and, uh, and, and the opposition uh, was, was very, very great. Now, let, let me say this to you. Um, people that come to our church often remark to me about the sweet spirit that they have. I pray we never lose that. They talk to me about the family spirit and the welcoming spirit. And I hear that all the time from people, and I'm, I'm grateful. I'm very grateful for that. But what they don't know is battles of the past when people had agendas and, and things like that. Listen, there has been opposition in the past. It's going to be that way. Anytime you want to do something in your own personal life for God, Satan's not going to give you a free pass. Together as a church, Satan hasn't given us a free pass. There's always opposition 
to, to, to us as a church, or you as a family, or you as an individual, Satan's going to fight your family. He's going to fight your life. He's going to fight your church. That's, that's what his job is. Paul writes to the elders, uh, the staff there in Ephesus in chapter 20, and, and we talked about it last week, but he said, you know, take heed to yourself uh, and, and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost have made you overseer to feed the flock of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. For I know this, Paul said, let me tell you something I'm certain of. After my departing, grievous wolves shall enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. And so he's giving these, these preachers three responsibilities. Number one, he said, ground this church in the word. Now, it doesn't matter how talented we are. It doesn't matter, again, how financially blessed we are. And we have been. God's, God's so blessed our work. If we're not a church grounded in the Word, then we've got the invasion of all kinds of agendas and ideas that can totally get off base from what God wants, but it's the word that keeps us straight. He said, watch for infiltrating wolves that would attempt to enter and beware of men among them who would become disciple makers. And so Paul was afraid when I leave, this is what's going to happen. One thing I've noticed over the years, and that is I've got several different situations that I'm thinking of, but when, I, when great men that I have known that were strong leaders and great men, when they've left, the great danger for the church there is wanting somebody weak. Uh, and that happened so many times. I've seen so many churches that have struggled and gone down, and it's a tragic mistake that's ruined many, many a church. So sometimes opposition can come in, and as a church we have to be grounded in the Word, so that we're not, we're not taken by that, okay? We're not looking for disciple makers. I don't want any disciples. How many of you are Dean's disciples? Okay, all right, I don't, I don't want any disciples. I'm not Jesus, I'm, I'm not looking for disciples for me. Um, I don't want my picture hung up, okay? I'm not, it's not, this, this, you know, it's not about me, okay? I don't want the statue to Dean made uh, unless I approve it. Uh, uh, you know, I, we're not looking for disciple makers. And that's, that's what happens when, when you get off base and you're not grounded in the Word. Uh, that can happen. Number three, conclusion number three, and that is that adverse circumstances do not remove God's purpose for our life. Let me say that again. Adverse circumstances do not remove God's purpose for our life. You ever, been, you ever been going somewhere, you know where your destination is at, you've been there countless times, and all of a sudden you come to this horrendous sign and it says detour. <laughs> They're everywhere in the valley right now, okay? They're everywhere in the valley. You can't get through your house from one end to the other without seeing a detour sign. There are detours everywhere. It's unbelievable. I'm like, are you kidding me? Another detour. Good night. And I saw something on Happy Valley where they're, for two days, they've got a three-foot section that will be under detour, and you have to drive out in the field and go through a guy's backyard, watch the clothesline, uh, to get to your house. It's unbelievable. Okay. Now, here's, here's, here's the reality. The detour doesn't stop you from your destination. It just reroutes 
the way that you go. Okay. Now here's what I want you to know. Listen to me. When a detour comes in your life, don't give up on your destination. Don't quit. All the detour is doing is God, for some reason, rerouting you to His purpose in your life. Well, preacher, why, why do you say that? Because here's the Apostle Paul. And Paul is writing the church to, uh, uh, to the, uh, a, a letter to the church at Ephesus. And you know where Paul was when he wrote this? He's in a Roman jail. Okay? And, and I, I've been to the Mamertine prison. And by the way, uh, Clement of Rome uh, made the statement that, uh, that not all of Paul's imprisonments are recorded in the Bible. He said that Paul was in prison seven times. I have no way of proving that, but that's more history than Bible. We know Paul was, was in prison on, on, on several occasions, but he says seven. Okay. So here he is, here he is, and, and he is uh, at this time... Um, he, he's, he's, writing, uh, he's writing the, the books of the Bible uh, during this time uh, to the church at Colossae and uh, the church at Philippi. Uh, he's writing it to the church at Ephesus uh, and to Philemon. And so um, he didn't let that stop him. He didn't allow that, he didn't allow that to stop him. Um, I mean, it may be health with you. It could be your finances. Well, I don't have the finances to do what I used to do. Well, do what you can do. Well, I, I, my health isn't good. Okay, well, do what you can do. Okay, I get a text on my phone. I get a text on my phone every morning. You know who it is? It's Diana Lafferty. You know what Diana says? I'm praying for you. Pastor, I want you to know I'm praying for you. Is there anything special that I can pray for you about? Okay, Diana can't, Diana can't walk down the street right now to put hangers on the door. So what is she doing? She's not letting the detour keep her from fulfilling the purpose of God for her life. There was a time when she was a little bit discouraged and we talked and I just did not give her permission to go to heaven. I said, no, I'm sorry, you can't do that. You're not, no, you're not leaving us. That will not happen. I'm praying against you. I know you're tired. We're not going to let you go, so you can't do that. So she then said, i got to figure out what God wants me to do. And so she came to me a little while later, and she said, I'm, I, I, know exactly, I know exactly what my purpose is now. What is it? It's to pray for people. She prays for you, many of you. And so I'm just saying this. Listen to me. When, you're, when God puts you on a detour, don't, don't quit. Don't quit. Well, Pastor, my life has changed. That's okay. Purpose. God still has a purpose for your life. He still has something there that he, that he, that he wants you to do, and, 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 and so do that. Do that thing. Stay faithful. Now, here's the deal. Here's the deal, and, and I'm going to close in just one more point, but listen carefully. If you go to the book of Revelation, you'll find out that somewhere down the line they left their first love. That's, a, that's, that's the closing letter written to the church at Ephesus by John after Paul's dead. And now John writes to the church at Ephesus and he's, and, 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 and he, he's giving them what, the letter that Jesus delivered to the church at Ephesus. And here was the letter, I have somewhat against thee. Now he starts out by, by, by just saying, you know, you, you, you guys have done some great things. You've done some great things. Um, but um, you've left your first love. And so he says to them, remember from whence thou art fallen, repent repeat. Remember, repent, repeat. Now I want to say this in your marriage. 
In your marriages, you may need to remember. If you come to my house, you say, Pastor, could, could, we, could we look at your photo album? Sure. Be, be glad to show you my photo album. So I sit you down on the table and open up the photo album, and you say, what was happening here? Susie and I were in a big fight. Look at, look at, look at her face. Look, look, at, look, at, look at the scowl on her face. We were fighting it out. We were slugging it out here. Had a big, big brohaw. It was horrible. Well, Pastor, look at your face. What happened to this one? That's when Susie ran over my dog. Do you remember that? Yeah. Yeah. Here, Crockett. Here, Crockett. Susie walks out. The dog's dead. Anyhow, I'm not over it yet. But anyhow, Pastor, you're crying there. Yeah, you'd cry too. So, okay. Well, what happened here? You know, uh, well, the kids were acting like idiots. Okay. All of them except Dixie. And uh, she, she was the perfect one. And so... Well, Pastor, what happened here? Our car broke down. This is us on the side of the road, driving Old Blue. Our famous, our famous, it had a, it had a personality. It's the only car that ever talked. So, you, you know, so, so what happened? This is horrible. We were on the side of the road. It was hot. We had to get a hotel room. It, it was a mess. I wouldn't show you that. You know why? Because you don't take pictures of the bad times. Who wants to remember that? You come to my house, I'm not going to show you pictures of Susie and I fighting and, and me holding the limp body of the wonderful dog that I bought. I'm not going to show you that. What am I going to show you? Smiling faces. Hawaii. Okay. Luau. Okay. I'm going to show you. You're going to think my family's perfect. Because <laughs> we took all good pictures. I'm just, look, remember what? Remember the good times. And once you remember where you started out when you were first in love, okay, and you know you're not there, repent. That's a change of heart. And do the first works. Look, here's the reality. Listen to me. If I treat my wife less today than I treated her when we first met in Springfield, Missouri, then, then I need to... Remember, repent, and repeat the first works because that's what attracted me to her. Okay. If my words were any sweeter then than they are now, something's wrong with me. So, so that's the formula that he gave the church to get their love back with Christ. Remember when you were first saved? Remember how excited you were? Remember how on fire for God you were? How grateful you were? Remember that? Repent of where you're at right now, lukewarm, dry Christianity, and repeat the first works. Get back going for God. Last of all, ready for this? Um, loving Jesus is more important than all the other characteristics. Loving Jesus is more important than all the other characteristics. So, in that book of Revelation, he said to them, you're a, you're a serving church, I know thy works and thy labor, and for my name's sake thou hast labored. He said, labor twice, you work, you guys work. I mean, you got it going, you got, you, got every, you got programs, you going, man. 
You're, you're a hardworking church. He said they were patient, okay? He said they stood for truth. They were doctrinally sound. They had been through some testing and had not quit. And thank God for that. I'm grateful for that. They had not fainted. But he said, I've got somewhat against you. Listen to this statement. Listen carefully. Remember from whence thou art fallen. That's a big word. We wouldn't consider that fall. Picture that. That's not falling. No, it is. In his eyes it is. When we're not serving, when we're not loving him like we used to love him, we have fallen. And that, that's a, that, that ought to... That uh, they ought to get to us. Um, they were no longer the church that they used to be. I can't help but think as he's going down the list. Hey, guys, let me tell you some things. You're men alive. You guys, you guys are workers. And he's naming this stuff. It's a letter from Jesus. So if I came tonight and I said, hey, guys, I got a letter from Jesus to, to, to South Valley. Here it is. Dear guys, you're hard workers. Well, that's great. You're patient. Well, that's good. You've been through some trials. You hadn't quit. You know, I mean, we just, I read down the line, everybody's beginning to feel good about themselves. And then he said, in spite of all that, nevertheless, I have somewhat against you. What you got against us? You left me. We didn't lose him. They didn't lose their first love. You have left your first love. I want to just tell you this. It would be better that our finances be on the bottom in us struggling financially and to love Jesus with all of our heart than to ever have the vice versa. I'd rather have a, I'd rather have a, I'd rather have a loving church than a talented church, than a financially secure church any day of the week. So let's don't ever... Let's don't ever stop emphasizing our love for others, our love for each other, and our love for Him because love is the primary, uh, love is the primary characteristic that God wants in our relationship with Him. Let's love Him with all our hearts. All right, let's pray. Thank you for, for your patience tonight. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your love. Pray that you'll bless now um, our time this week. Lord, get us ready for Sunday and help us to be... Uh, ready to serve you, and uh, just bless in every way. We thank you for who you are in Jesus' name. Amen.